This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast, where we journey down the path of the modern homesteading movement by sharing the stories and ideas of homesteaders around the world. So whether you're just thinking about someday living the homesteading lifestyle or have been for many years, we want to help everyone homestead today for a better tomorrow. Well, hello, hello. I'm your modern homesteading host, Harold Thornbrough, and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Uh, we're glad you're joining us today. On today's show, I have an interview with Sherry Willis from the halfpinthomestead.com, and uh, she's going to share with us a little bit about her journey and what's been going on at her homestead and uh, talk a little bit about the business she runs from her homestead, selling fodder systems and uh, grow barrels and, and things like that. And she's got a complete line of products that she sells. And uh, it's a great interview. We, we discuss uh, everything from urban homesteading to the ordinances that follow that. Um, we talk about things like her products or grow barrels and our microgreen systems. And, and especially uh, excessively, we're going to talk about uh, growing fodder and uh I think we even have a few minutes in there where we talk about uh, tiny house living. So stay tuned. It's a great interview. I'm joined today by Sherry Willis. Uh, Sherry runs the website halfpinthomestead.com. And uh, Sherry's journey has sort of uh, went the reverse path of most homesteaders, uh, as you'll hear from her in a few minutes. But she has taken what she has, and she's embraced the homesteading lifestyle. And with that, uh, Sherry, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, Sherry, why don't you just take a couple minutes and uh, share a little bit about yourself and how you got into homesteading to begin with and then how you ended up where you are today. Well, um, I actually grew up in Wyoming, and I grew up on a genuine homestead. We had 283 acres. Um, in the mountains, the Wind River Mountains of Wyoming. And as a child, it never occurred to me that we lived differently than everybody else. I mean, we had our own we had our own beef, and we had horses, and, you know, we made cheese, and we did all these things. And it never occurred to me that everybody else didn't do that. Um, as an adult, uh, I uh, kind of went to college for a while and wandered around, and then in my late 20s, I ended up on a place with seven acres and um, started out with horses. You know, horses are always the gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and ended up with a milk cow. And um, she actually had two milk cows at one point and decided milking one cow was fun. Milking two cows was a chore. I'm not going to do it. So, right. um, <laughs> but I would raise orphan calves and and all of that. Well, um, the situation came up, and uh, I ended up in Missouri actually living off-grid for a year and a half in the woods. Oh, and wow. had some 
had some, I, I had plans of doing, basically replicating my homestead that I had in Wyoming in the woods in here and discovered that, you know, woods are not a great place for cows and trees are few and far between in Wyoming. I decided I didn't want to cut down my beautiful trees. So um, I got goats instead of a cow and I love goats. I, I would never go back to a cow after goats because mm-hmm. there's so much less work. And with a cow, if, if something happens to your cow, you pretty much put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you can have two or three goats and still feed them less than a cow. And if something happens to one, you still have, two, you know, some. Sure. Um, so, so there are some real advantages to small livestock that uh, I don't think people appreciate. You know, I can throw them in the back of my little Chevy Colorado. I, you know, um, <laughs> but since I live in the real world and had to have a job that was 50 miles away, I uh, made the decision to buy this little house in town. And I mean, in town, it is one and a half blocks from town square. It is in town. And it came with three small lots. So there's about a fifth of an acre. And I decided, well, let's see what we can do with this. Because I didn't want to give up what I was doing. And I love the fact that I don't actually have to have a vehicle. If my truck breaks down, I can pretty much walk to everything I need without really a lot of trouble. So that's kind of important to me. So I put a privacy fence up and built a little hen house under my deck and uh, got I designed a rabbit cage that uh, takes less wire and, and works real well because it has a built-in hay feeder and started seeing what I could make of this little one-fifth of an acre with almost no sunlight because there's huge trees on this place. So. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, so it is the true urban homestead, really. And uh, I, I assume you don't run into any uh, uh, local ordinance uh, problems out of that or anything? Because some cities I know well, have a real problem with that. West Plains has quite liberal laws. And um, one, of the, one of the keys is to build a relationship with your neighbors. Because, you know, our city, basically, if people don't complain they leave you alone, so I, you know, mm-hmm. talked to my neighbors before I started, and, uh, you know, eggs and cheese tend to show up on their doorsteps occasionally. Sure, yeah, that's smart. And, that's... <laughs> yeah. So um, there's that, and, and then, um, you know, really the only, the only thing you can't ab- absolutely are not supposed to have in, in our town is pigs, but... Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to maybe do some miniature pigs, and I can claim that they're pets, you know, because those are... And, and that is, like, the miniature goats, a lot of times you can get away, since they're kind of an exotic animal, you can get away with saying, well, they're pets. They're exotic right. pets. Right. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, that That's in a lot of... Uh, well, you know, a lot of cities are even uh, loosening up on a lot of those laws, and there still might be rules against, like, a rooster or something loud, you know, but uh, a lot of them are starting to open up to the ideas of of chickens and, and even goats and things like that. I know uh, a lot of the larger uh, metropolitan cities are even uh, becoming you know, more open to that idea. Well, I know that both Kansas City and St. Louis allow um, goats and chickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas, now, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because Kansas City, Kansas, does not allow 
and Kansas City, Missouri does. So if you move across the river, and <laughs> and and they they pro, you know they enforce those codes because there's been some issues. So mm-hmm. you know, but I went ahead and actually did some research before I moved into town just to see what the laws on the books are like. Now that is not to say that laws can't be changed. Right. You know, um, and it's it's a good idea to be prepared for that if you're gonna. You know, I would never tell anybody to break the law, but sometimes it's better to ask, beg forgiveness than ask permission. And, right. You know, and, and, you know, prepared. I, I think you're right about, you know, it, it, they really, it's really enforced when neighbors complain. And uh, if you can keep your neighbors happy, then, you know, it's not usually a problem. But you're right. Some, some neighborhoods is a problem. And then I guess you got to raise, you got to call your chickens parrots and call them pets, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I do have a privacy fence. Right. That I keep everything behind. And and the reason for that is, is, okay, so my neighbors don't complain, but a lot of times the complaints come from people who are not actually impacted by what you're doing, but mm-hmm. they're just bored or crabby or you know, I don't know. Um, they don't like the concept because there's still a, there's still a, I don't know, an idea that keeping animals in an urban area is um, poor, is is it, it's a sign of poverty. Only poor people do that, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's slowly being um, being eaten away. But it, there still is that you know people move to the city to get away from that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. and and so there there is that stigma of well, only poor people keep you know chickens were called called yard birds, and it's like I've never heard that term before. And somebody said something, and I'm like. Well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think you're right. I mean, there there is a stigma to that. But I also think you're right that it seems to be kind of fading away. And, and uh, I don't know, people are becoming more um, open to the urban homesteading lifestyle. I think there's just been so much attention given to it lately that uh, people are somewhat fascinated by it. And, and in some communities, it, there is, you know, the stigma is a little stronger than in other places. But uh, I find that, you know, as I talk to people, that it's definitely becoming um, something that people are fascinated by. And, uh, you know, I know even in, I live in within the city limits as well and I've got a pretty good sized yard, but it's actually in town. And, um, you know, but what I find is a lot of my neighbors are kind of fascinated with what I'm doing, you know, and they're okay with it. Now that's right. not to say I want to go, uh, ringing bells and bringing the whole town in to look at it because you never know when there's going to be a problem. But, right. uh, you know, if you're, if you're getting along good with your neighbors, uh, it's been my experience that there's there's a lot of fascination to that lifestyle. So, well, and I think people are becoming aware of the weaknesses in our industrialized food mm-hmm. um, system. It, not only the the antibiotics that they use and and all the fuel. I don't know that people are, but the fact that it's um it's not healthy. I mean, all of a sudden we're seeing these poor kids who are, you know morbidly obese at 12 mm-hmm. but yeah. we never had that when we were kids right you know, and and I, just uh cancer i mean who everybody knows somebody that has cancer at a fairly young age these days you know so i think in a lot of it is people are realizing that you know what this isn't normal there's something going right. on and we need to eat better we need to you know change our lifestyle up a little bit and i think that that's something that's uh causing people to buy into that lifestyle a little bit more and then there's there's kind of a you know there was a back to the land movement in the seventies, mm-hmm. um, 
which we were already on the land, so that passed us by. But um, you know, right. uh, but th- this is this is kind of a similar revival, I think. But people are starting to look at things a little differently and realize that you know there's not there aren't the wide open spaces that there used to be. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of, especially in in urban areas like Detroit and places where that had had a manufacturing base. Um, there are so many abandoned places, right. so many abandoned spots. Yeah. That's all land that can be that can be healed and put back to use for people. And there are some really interesting projects going on in some of those areas. Yeah, I've seen I've seen I read a bunch of that on the internet and stuff, and, and seen some of the, what's going on. There's a lot of people buying these old rundown city lots and, and doing some great things with them. And and that's what kind of uh, caught my eye with your website. I, I noticed and read your story a little bit, and you were doing it on a small uh, city lot and uh you know it, it what made me really um pay attention to what you were doing is so often i hang out in some facebook communities and such of homesteading communities and so many people come on there and say you know one of these days maybe i can get 100 acres and become a homesteader and i just want to scream at them and say you can be a homesteader now <laughs> you know there's things you right. can do you don't have to have you don't have to have even one acre right yeah. you don't have to have a half acre um, you can keep, you know, you can, you can have a window box. Exactly. And I mean, <laughs> you know, you can do hydroponics. You can, there's so many options now that we didn't used to have. Right. Um, a little greenhouse on your porch, anything. And, and it's kind of interesting because. Um, I don't know if you saw my garden barrel. I did, and I was going to talk to you about that because that's another thing. I noticed that, you know, there's so many of these people who are in these urban areas, and it's, you know, maybe difficult for them to uh, dig up a bunch of ground or, or even have a big area to, mm-hmm. to do things, and you're making it easier for them. I see you've got some products that are actually helping them to do that right where they're at. Well, the thing about the garden barrels is I'm not a very good gardener. I'm a pretty good gardener in May, but I'm a dismal gardener by July because <laughs> it's hot and I don't want to go out and weed. So the garden barrels are great because I have them set up on a drip system with a timer so I don't have to remember to water them. And there's no weeding, really. And, you know, you don't have to dig anything. You just, I like planting things. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Want to do it you like to plant and, and then harvest uh, <laughs> yeah that's pretty much and that you you have almost no weeding and you know you can choose high dollar crops mm-hmm. you know okay maybe you're not going to grow potatoes in that although i do have something else to grow potatoes in but strawberries i mean i love strawberries and they are the highest pesticide crop you can buy mm-hmm. they have the most pesticide residue those and apples right so, you know, you're, you, people think they're getting these healthy foods from the store, and it, that might not be so. Yeah, I, I was noticing uh, what caught my eye out of all your products was originally was your uh, fodder systems, because I have rabbits as well, mm-hmm. and I, you know, and I do some uh, fodder, grow some fodder for them, and it just caught my eye. I was actually on Craigslist when I first seen your uh, your products, and uh, I thought, well, that's pretty neat. Somebody's actually out there building these systems and, and helping other people uh, get set up with it, and it is a, it's a great way to feed your livestock, and uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I actually started that um, a couple years ago. I had was actually researching fodder beets because I was kind of looking for some ways to uh, supplement the feed of my animals. I don't like pelleted feed for the simple mm-hmm. fact that you 
you don't really know what's in it. I mean, protein could mean grounded baby chicks or it could mean, you know, whatever, soy. Um, so I, I don't care for pelleted feed, and I kind of wanted to get away from that. Well, the, the concept of hydroponic fodder came up when I was looking at fodder beets. And at the time, there was just nothing that wasn't huge industrial scale. I mean, there was nothing even close enough to small mm-hmm. for me. You know, I had three rabbits and five chickens, and I was planning on getting a couple of goats. So, right. <laughs> I mean, um, and so I, I kind of did some research and and decided, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can just build something. You know, it doesn't it needs these things. What can I do to build it? And so I, I started that in September of 2012, and I sold my first one that month. Wow. And I ended up actually expanding because I started out with just a six tray, which is what I needed, and I expanded it up to an 18 tray, which gives you three trays a day, mm-hmm. and um, decided that's as big as I was going to go. I didn't want to go any bigger. There were already people selling big ones. So then I actually stepped down, and I have a micro and a mini, which are just tabletop models mm-hmm. for people who have five chickens or a few rabbits or whatever. So, But it's all automated because I know me, and I'm not going to water them. If, yeah, if it wasn't automated, I wasn't going to do it. So, <laughs> so you've pretty much built uh, selling these products. and Is it a full-time business, part-time business? It's a full-time business. Oh, wow. So you're you're doing pretty good selling all your products then. That's... Yes. And then I do some writing. and, and Sure. Uh, also see... I'm just getting ready to finish a book on keeping urban livestock. Awesome. Well, I, I know that, uh, like, the products that you sell, some people can take those and, and turn a business, you know, use those products to even start a business of their own. Like, I've seen you had a, mi- a microgreens kit uh, that mm-hmm. you sell as well. And, and, well, it wasn't so long ago I was hearing a, a podcast of a guy who was... Um, running a uh, microgreens business out of his basement and selling to restaurants there in his town. And, and he had two people working for him. I mean, he was uh, running a full business, ended up selling the business because it was so successful. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's those products themselves can lead to people starting businesses. Well, and there are some people who actually sell fodder mm-hmm. to people who, you know, just have a few chickens and don't want to mess with, you know, growing their own or whatever. Um, you can also use, the systems to grow wheatgrass for juicing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't drink the stuff myself, <laughs> but you know, people like it. Oh yeah. Um, so so yeah, there's a there's a lot of um, potential. I'm working on some different design designs to kind of optimize some of my fodder systems so that you can get more for less and the little different techniques. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that and. Now, when you say, you were saying a few minutes ago that these are automated, did you say you set these up to be automated, to water themselves? Or? Yes. Yes, okay. they have their own pump and timer. They come with a pump and timer, and they water themselves on oh, um, whatever intervals you you set them up. Because, like I said, I know myself, and if I was going to do this, it was going to have to water. Yeah, that's interesting, because, because like, what I've got, you know, you have to manually pour the water through them, and then it drains down through them, and you do that once a day. And, and I think that's how most people have their setup. And uh, so that's interesting that you've got your setup to, to take care of itself. That's That would make it a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, these, and generally, uh, every four hours, it waters. and um, Because the watering does a couple things. Not only does it... Um, 
you know, water the seed, but it also aerates it so you don't get the anaerobic bacteria mm-hmm. and stuff. So right. It's a little cleaner. Because yeah, it can get it can get pretty icky. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people that set them up have a lot of trouble with mold and, and, and stuff. You know, if they don't have them set up right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And mold, you you always fight mold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fodder is just a race against time with mold, and, and I'll have people email me and say, "Oh, so and so said their system doesn't get mold or whatever," and I'm like, "That's not true." Yeah. It's the perfect conditions for mold. Mm-hmm. I mean, fodder is the perfect conditions for mold. So that's why I set mine up as a six-day cycle rather than an eight-day like some of them yeah. do because because of the mold and because it starts to lose nutrition um, as it gets taller, too. Yeah. Like, people are wanting all this real tall grass. Well, you actually don't want the tall grass mm-hmm. because you're, st- you're putting... Um, that those nutrients that used to be available into lignin, which is indigestible. So sure. You don't want that. Right. So it's important also just to have the right uh, size setup for your livestock, too. You don't you don't need the extra. You can't let it sit there longer. You have to get, keep a good rotation going on. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's where why it's never going to be like a really probably big commercial thing unless mm-hmm. there's some serious – because it doesn't transport. It doesn't keep. But I, you can keep it – 12 to 24 hours in the refrigerator, but you really need to feed it, you know, right away. Right. And, and I'm with you on that. You know, we we start raising our own animals because we want to eat healthier, you know. And if we're feeding them this commercial feed that, um, you know, isn't healthy, uh, you know, we're, we're eating that too. So, you know, I'm, exactly. I, I want to feed and them. And in a higher concentration. Sure. Yeah. So you want to feed them uh, stuff that's actually good for them and, and in return be better for us. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Right. I mean, you know, cause so often people think, well, I just want to raise mine, you know, and it's just instantly going to be healthier. Well, if you're raising it the same way or even maybe worse then it's not going to be. So, yeah, I think it's important. Right. Well, you, you've, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just excited about what you're doing because I, I, I love to hear about people taking their situation and no matter where they're at, what they're doing and doing something with it. And I love what you're doing as far as running a little homesteading business. You know, you've taken, taken your skills, your know-how and, uh, you're sharing it, uh, with others by, you know, providing products for them. And I think that's really great. I, I hope a lot of other people take what they love, their passion, and they do something with it as well because, one thing I've seen in this world is so many people are just kind of trapped, you know, in, in this vicious cycle of going to work, coming home, doing the routines, going to work, coming home, doing it again. And, and they're right. never happy. And they always talk about wanting something better, wanting to be have some kind of freedom. and Or someday. Yeah, someday. Someday when everything's perfect. Right. And, you know. Uh, someday might yeah. never come. Exactly. And, you know, we're probably all guilty about that of that at some point in our life. I know I, ha- I have been, but uh, you're right. You just need to step up and, and do something that makes you happy and it sets you free from the, the hustle and bustle of the regular world. And you know what? It looks strange to some people, but I think you see that it's, you know, it's a way better way of, of living. It is. I have so many more choices mm-hmm. in my life. Um, now, part of the reason I could do this is because I chose a very small house. My house is 488 square feet. Mm. So it's, um, it, it, no one guesses that when they walk in. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious because, you know, but it's, it's a very small house. Um, the property didn't cost that much, you know. So 
I, my debt was low, and that gave me a lot more freedom mm-hmm. to do what I wanted. Well, and that's when people are like, "How do I start?" That's my first thing I tell them is start paying your debt down because if you're saddled with debt, you have to stay where you are. Exactly, you're, you're so right. And boy, it sounds like the you're you just uh, you're maybe a one of these people who just began and started the whole tiny house uh, uh, fad that's going around, right? <laughs> that's a big thing uh, these days. Actually, I was kind of a fan of it. Yeah. Now, the real tiny houses are like 100. Right, right. Yeah. I love the concept. I'm not sure that I would actually love the reality of it. Yeah. I, I love the idea. I, Let's just I, I, love, that I, I love people's commitment to say, I'm going to not be normal and I'm going to live like this. But at the same time, as a homesteader, I know I like to have enough things around me to where I can be you know, sustainable. It's kind of hard in a small house mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, um, and, and you do, even with this small house, part of my interest in the tiny houses is I look at how they use space. Mm-hmm. And then I try to um, emulate that in my own home. Right. You know, so you can tuck things here and tuck things there. And it's amazing what you can do with six inches. Right, right? yeah. Yeah, this, uh, you know, a small kitchen is kind of a challenge. That's probably the toughest place in the house to, you know, because that's where you do. Seems like where, where we do a lot of our, you know, stuff is in the kitchen, and we got a pretty small kitchen, and right. that makes right. it difficult. But you know, other than that, um, you can usually survive a small bedroom or even a small living room or whatever. But I did, I did move up from a camper trailer, so a you big know. step up, yeah, <laughs> no doubt about right, it. Right, right. So five hundred square feet seemed like sure. a lot. It's, it's like. 488 square feet is what Absolutely. Have, so. Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's quite a step up. And I've I seen a picture of you, looking at it right now, actually, on your website, the, your little house. It's a pr- pretty nice little place, actually. I keep saying I'm going to do a video tour of it for my website, mm-hmm. but I'm in, I've, I've pretty much gotten every room finished, you know, because, of course, when you move into a house, you have to, like, redo it the way mm-hmm. you want it. So um, the only thing that's left is the kitchen, which is, of course, the most expensive sure. room to leave yeah. So I'm kind of waiting on that, and then then I'll do something fun with the video so people can see. Now, speaking of your videos, you've got a you've got a few videos out there of some of your products and, and things like that, right? I, yes, yes, there are. I have a YouTube channel mm-hmm. um, that uh, I have fun with. Well. So yeah. um, I'm getting ready to redo my garden barrel construction video. To There were some things that people, you know, you get the same questions over and over again. So you're like, well, maybe I should clarify this mm-hmm. a little bit more. That's whatever. actually the video so, I, I seen. I was just watching that one uh, earlier today. That's the one I was seeing. So, yeah, I noticed you had some, some videos out there. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and plug away. You've got videos. you got your website. Uh, how can people uh, find out more about you and, and about your products? Well, they can go to www.halfpinthomestead.com. I there's videos. Um, I also write a newsletter, which a lot there's a lot about fodder. It's called Fodder for Thought, um, but it's not only about hydroponic fodder. Uh, right now, I'm doing a series on um, different like perennial fodder plants mm-hmm. that are easy to grow for your livestock um, because. For me, it's easier for me to do fodder during the winter and spring and then um, feed these other plants during the summer because the mold counts so mm-hmm. high in Missouri, it's been hot. Um, plus, it's good for them to have some variation in their diet. So I did an article on mulberry and one on willow and the next one's Jerusalem artichoke. So, and then there are always just little tips about growing fodder and that kind of stuff. It's just a quick newsletter that I do 
maybe once a month. Okay. And then I also have a blog that kind of shows some of the projects that we're doing at the house. So We Haven is what the house is called. So. Great. Um, and and that's also available on the front page. You know, the homepage of my website has links to all that. And we also have a Facebook page that um, I post the articles that I write for different places. Um, you know. So. Okay, great. Well, I'll put uh, I'll put links to all this stuff on the in the show notes for this podcast. I did have a you know as you were sitting there talking, it made me think about something. Uh, fodder systems. Back to that real quick. Uh, wheat, barley, oats. Which one do you like the best? Okay, oats do not work at all. Really? No. In fact, I almost gave up the whole idea because I tried it with oats to begin with, and at the end of day six, it was just oh. <laughs> um, so. I prefer wheat. Uh, barley has that hull mm-hmm. on it, and the hull tends to break down and get slimy, so it's kind of hard to control the slimy and the mold with that hull. Wheat is a little less finicky about perfect conditions, and since you know my systems are just in your house, the temperature is not exactly 72 degrees right. all the time, and you know so. And wheat just tends to not have as many issues with that as barley but both of them work i've had people use both sure so. well, i just see this conversation uh, in a couple of groups all the time you know people arguing which one's the best but now now we right. know the professional right. has spoke so <laughs> we know now <laughs> <laughs> now my favorite thing to do is to sprinkle some black oil sunflower mm-hmm. seeds on top. yeah yeah the the boss and yeah. my rabbits really do well on mm-hmm. those. yeah they love so. it too <laughs> yes they do although i did have one buck who, it took a month before he would not look insulted when I put <laughs> really? water in his cage. Yeah, I was switching him over from pellets, and he just he just looked so insulted when I would put that water in. And he really didn't take to it until I had completely gotten rid of all the pellets, mm. and then he started to eat he didn't it. Didn't have but choice, <laughs> it, it, right? You know, they always had free choice hay, but he just was he was a picky yeah. eater, so. Well, that's that's fascinating. Well, like I said, you it sounds like uh, you know what you're talking about when it comes to that more than most. You've been doing it for a while and uh, and putting these systems together. So yeah, that's interesting because I was actually working on the uh, the barley more than the wheat, but uh, I'd heard a lot of people say mm-hmm. that they like the barley best. So I've been going that route, and uh, I uh, hadn't tried oats. I, I won't now. <laughs> So that's good to know. Well, yeah. well, hey, I'm really glad you came on here today. Do you have anything you'd like to say uh, maybe to that person who um, uh, is in their uh, little uh, house in the city limits that says, one day, one day, I'm going to have a homestead? I would say just start. Pick one thing and learn about it. And only pick one thing. Do one thing at a time. Give yourself some time to learn that one thing and then go to the next thing and before you know it you're doing all these things and people are going oh my gosh you know so much (laughs) exactly right but it's just one step at a time very very good advice well sherry thanks for coming on the podcast today it's been great having you on here well thank you for having me thanks for listening to see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes go to smalltownhomestead.com There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow.